Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. This is Matt Liner, and you're listening to Reign of Troy Radio. Reign of Troy Hotline. Alicia, Michael, what's going on? We know you have takes. We have takes. Why can't we just win a game? Can I blame Bob Connolly for this? Could I put on a zebra shirt and just go out there? Get Michael Castillo on the phone. <laughs> Scrap. Claw, up against the wall. Can't explain that what I'm feeling right now, guys. Oh, I can't believe USB is five and seven and not going to a ball. Oh. All right, Trojan fans, turn up the volume. It's time for Reign of Troy Radio. Here's your host, Michael Castillo. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Reign of Troy Radio, episode 313, coming to you on Wednesday, May 22nd. We're back for the first time in a couple weeks. We're going to talk about the latest in USC football, go over the news, including USC potentially, potentially playing an FCS team at some point. We'll give you our reactions, talk about it, and so much more here on this episode, including your listener questions. As always, you can follow us on Twitter at Reign of Troy, like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash Reign of Troy. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, Overcast, Google Play, and Spreaker. Our bonus episodes are on Patreon, patreon.com slash Reign of Troy. Our email address is Reign of Troy at fansided.com, and our phone number is 213 373 1872. I'm your host, Michael Castillo. Join along with my co-host, Alicia Deratola. Hello, everybody. Hello, Alicia. We're back after a little bit of a one-week hiatus, and there's been both a lot of stuff going down and not so much at the same time. Well, it's very much mid-May. Very, very much mid-May. In I that can confirm the, that, yeah. The stuff that's going down is all speculation and things that or sort of news, but not really news, and basically big, big off-season debates that are that are sort of intangible at the, at this stage. But this is the off-season. This is uh, exactly where you'd expect it to be. Yeah, which means that it was good that the Game of Thrones season. Uh, happened in April and May. That is all done. You can go listen to those episodes over on Patreon, patreon.com slash of Troy. They are free for all, all of them, including our recap of the last episode of Game of Thrones, which dropped on Tuesday. Uh, and we are done. We're done with Rod on God. Never going to have another Rod on God episode ever again. Uh, I guess unless the sequels take off. Yeah, no, it's been a really, really fun ride. I've, I've quite enjoyed it. I've, I've enjoyed the, the feedback that we've gotten when we started doing Rod on God, I think you and I both expected, you know, 15 people maybe to listen to it. And we just figured, like, we're going to have these conversations anyway, so let's just run with it. And we've actually had really, really good feedback from people. So uh, it's been a it's been a fun, uh, fun journey. And yeah, maybe we will revive it when the, when the prequels come out. But that seems to be a ways away. And, and honestly, I think we're all glad for the 
the break. Uh, Patreon.com slash Rain of Troy is where you can get those. Uh, again, those are unlocked and free, so you don't have to be a patron, but you might want to be a patron uh, because there's a lot of stuff coming your way over on Patreon from us, uh, from Rain of Troy Radio. Uh, we're going to be doing more Rathbots choices here as we get through May and June and July leading into the college football season. Alicia has her show Second and Short, uh, and we're going to be doing an episode about superstitions. What is your craziest U.S superstition so if you have one give us a call 213-373-1872 we want to know what that superstition is for you guys what is that thing that you do that's weird what's the craziest thing that you've ever done for usc football let us know we're, we're putting together an episode that will be over on patreon patreon.com slash reign of troy where you can get all of our bonus episodes for as little as 555 a month yeah tons and tons also i've been doing uh, throwback thursday episodes getting into random old history stuff from USC. So we've got something for everybody, I think, but I'm, I'm super stoked for this superstition podcast because I am fascinated by sports psychology <laughs> and uh, superstitions are something that I myself, a rational human being buy into when it comes to sports. And so I kind of want to talk about the irrationality of all of it. And, uh, and yeah, we're encouraging everybody send us a, a tweet, send us a Facebook message, call into the show uh, with with your random, the random crazy things you do because sports. And I have a bunch of good ones that I do. I've shared some of them for you, Elisa, but not all of them. And I'm interested I'm to, to know I, to know if you're going to judge me, or if you're going to think they're they're genius or, or what. Oh no, no judgment. I'm I'm here for the crazy off. I, I'm here for it. All right, all right. Uh, but let's get into this episode. A lot of not news, but news, sort of, kind of, uh, things to talk about. We'll do that up next. All right, Alicia, let's start with the hot button issue around USC these days. USC and the potential of playing FCF schools, something the Trojans have never done, along with UCLA and Notre Dame. Neither of those three teams have ever played an FCS school since the FCS became a thing in 1978, I believe it was, uh, as Division I AA. Um, SC's never played those schools, ever. And suddenly that might not be a thing that we could say anymore, as USC has put out this initiative uh, in an article from... Antonio Morales, in which he talked to Steve Lopes, USC's associate athletic director. Uh, Steve Lopes said it's pretty clear for USC. What they want to do is have seven home games every single year, that that's important, that that's what winning teams do. Uh, And there's this quote, we're looking at schools that might not even be FBS, which I don't think is that big of a deal. We may get criticized if and when we do it, but everyone does it. Are you going to die on that sword? You can play very good FCS schools that are better than some of the FBS schools that you'll play, the directional schools you'll play. Um, Alicia, this is an interesting thing to discuss here, and it's it's a compl- complex situation because there's a lot of layers to it. Um, if you take the idea of USC wanting to play seven home games every year, I, yeah, 
you absolutely should want to play seven home games every year. But it's also a complex issue when SC plays a nine-game schedule, has Notre Dame on the schedule every year, and of their 12 games per season, they're, they know 10 of those opponents every single year in the home road orientation, and there's going to be five home games and five road games, either four Pac-12 uh, home games in Notre Dame, or it's five Pac-12 home games and a road game at Notre Dame. They know all these things. So if you want to get seven home games, the two non Notre Dame slash Pac-12 games on your schedule are going to be at home, which means no more home and homes for USC. And I think that's a big thing for USC fans to kind of get over because that's kind of what one of the things we love about college football. We love going to Austin to have USC play Texas. We love being able to sit here and be like, oh, it'd be super cool if SC played LSU, you know, in Death Valley with everything that Steve Lopes is saying. That tends to be something that's not going to be in the cards ever again, or at least for the foreseeable future, which is kind of heartbreaking to hear when you see all these other schools adding these home and homes like Florida and Texas and Alabama and Ohio State and Oklahoma, all these schools playing these big time opponents and... SC's like, nope, we're not going to do that. We're going to settle for playing Notre Dame every year. So that big opponent that SC plays every year is just going to be Notre Dame, which on the surface makes sense. Notre Dame is certainly qualified to be that big time opponent. And I don't think you're dumbing down the schedule by by not having home and homes. But you know you play Notre Dame every year. It's exciting to have a new uh, a, a new opponent, a new big opponent on the schedule every year. Yeah, and, and it seems that there's just this, this trade-off that they're going for where... They're conceding. They're conceding the 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 I guess joys of of the home and home and and the traveling, uh, for the I guess savviness of scheduling advantages. Um, so USC has this scheduling advantage in that they have this Notre Dame rivalry that they do every year. So you have a marquee matchup every year. Uh, but basically, what they're saying is that you can't have all of these things, right? Like you can't have Notre Dame and seven games at home every year and have these big marquee matchups. And I'm with you that it's like, it's unfortunate just putting the FCS thing to the side for a second. Like it's unfortunate that this is the direction that USC is going in uh, for the sake of pragmatism, essentially, because you, you look at like UCLA's upcoming schedule they have a home and home with LSU. They have a home and home with Michigan. They have a home and home with Georgia. They have a home and home with Auburn. They have a home and home with Wisconsin. Any one of those home and homes would be golden for USC. Like I would be love. Awesome. We'd be scheduling our trips already. Yeah, exactly. And it's just it's kind of it's just a bummer that USC is outright acknowledging straight up that like that's not in the cards anymore. The best that USC fans can hope for going forward is a neutral site game in 2024 and 2028. Like that's that that that's basically what USC fans have to look forward to. And I get the the I get the appeal of a neutral site game from uh from a program perspective because those games pay out massively. But it's not the same as a home and home. Like playing Alabama at AT&T Stadium is not the same as going to, you know, uh, uh, um, going like to Alabama and seeing everything that they do, their their traditions and their tailgate spots and all that kind of stuff. Like playing Texas 
at uh, at in in New Las Vegas Stadium wouldn't be the same as going to Austin, being in that city for that weekend, having the the party vibe that was going on there, and then getting to to watch the game at 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 uh, DKR. Like that's a totally different experience than what it is that they're talking about. So it's it's and like I get it, I get why they're doing it. I'm just I'm kind of just bummed. Like I'm kind of bummed at at this sort of turn. Tor- turn of events and we get mad at USC for a lot of things where it feels like USC isn't playing the game right so I can't be like overly critical of them for this particular the the seven game strategy but I'm also not going to hide my disappointment that we can't have the best of both worlds well yeah and it's SC wanting to do a million things at once right it's SC always wanting to play Stanford and Cal it's the Pac-12 dying on this hill of playing nine game, nine conference games. It's it's SC always wanting to play Notre Dame because that's the rival. It's SC not wanting to play an FCS school because they've never done that before and still wanting to play marquee opponents. If you stack all those things, the FCS streak is the low man on the totem pole, apparently. Right, right. And... and- Honestly, I think that's where maybe my frustration is coming from is that we can have the FCS conversation and all of that kind of stuff, which I I just I don't like it. But I guess where I'm coming from is, okay, if we're going to stack all those things on the totem pole, right? Fine. I'll grant you the FCS thing is low on the totem pole. You know what else is low on the totem pole? And I know tradition and maybe this is sacrilege, but Michael, I would trade the annual Stanford and Cal trip uh, uh series for a trip to death valley i would too like i i would trade the 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 nine game pac-12 schedule i think is the way that the schedule should be but when you look at the rest of college football i've said this for years the rest of college football if they're going to do the eight game schedule the pac-12 should go to an eight game schedule everyone should do the same number of conference games that's that's my opinion and in an ideal world everyone would do nine conference games but Everyone else does eight, so the Pac-12 should go to eight. And the reason that the Pac-12 is at nine, in part, is because USC and UCLA and Stanford and Cal put their foot down and basically held the the conference hostage and insisted that they had to keep those traditional rivalries in California alive. And and that has ultimately that was the domino that ultimately is leading to now USC going well. We can't have all of these things, so we have to sacrifice the home and home thing in order to have the seven home games thing. Quite honestly, I would, if USC had the seven home game thing, I'd be cool with that. If the trade-off was losing Stanford and Cal, but keeping the possibility of scheduling Georgia, like, yeah, for sure. That's kind of where I come down. Georgia in Athens. Yeah. Home and home. Not in Houston. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's, it's interesting the way, you know, you you even led into this talking about how it's a complex issue. It really is. But when you follow the threads back, you sort of just come down to like the nine game Pac-12 schedule is dumb and it ruins everything. Right. Yeah. And so you need one of two things. Either they go back to eight games, which they haven't since 2005, or everyone goes to 13 games, which I know has been thrown out there a few times as well. If you go to 13 games, my thought is then SC is just going to come around and say, well, we, then we want eight home games. 
Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like, oh, I, don't and, know, I don't know that that changes anything. I think, if anything, that makes it more likely that an FCS opponent is going to be in the cards. Yeah, for sure. Because then you could do the thing that the SEC does where you have four non-conference games and one of them being an FCS game matters less because you get three that aren't, right? So, right. Uh, uh, no, I, I'm with you. The The seven home games thing is about stacking the schedule in your favor. And Steve Lopes said this in the article, basically teams that win, teams that go get playoff berths, teams that, that, that uh, are successful tend to have more home games because it's easier to win a home game. I mean, USC's record at home in the past few years has been stellar. So yeah, if USC had a few more home games, it might have made a difference to the win-loss totals, and it might have made a difference to where USC ended up in, in postseason play and, and, and elsewhere. But right. And the other thing, you get rid of the nine-game schedule, you don't have to play Stanford in week two every single every year. Every year, yeah. Yeah. Which means that you get an actual lead-up in your September of ramping up into the season and getting into you know good form before you play the toughest team on your schedule where yep. right now USC gets thrown in and that can be an advantage and a disadvantage because it's working against both teams but it's definitely something that's in play it's also the reason why you know USC's by by games by week situation has been so weird at times and you know these scheduling things are they get they're very very complex but it just it all comes back to I don't value the nine game conference schedule nearly as much as I value a marquee home and home, especially when you see the willingness of teams like USC in the Pete Carroll era was willing to schedule all of these marquee home and homes. And it was great. But there were a lot of teams out there that weren't willing to reciprocate. And now uh, all of a sudden everybody now is. everyone is. Everyone yeah. is. And that's when USC decides to say, yeah, nah, we're not doing home and homes like I am I am just majorly disappointed by this turn of events. And we haven't even started talking about the major disappointment that I have when it comes to the possibility of being the first of the three teams who have never uh, who have never played an FCS team all linked by rivalry. The first one to be, USC being the first one to blink on that like kills me. It's irrelevant and I'll get over it. But like right now, while it hasn't happened, like I will not be proud the day that USC announces that they've scheduled an FCS opponent in large part because Notre Dame and UCLA get to lord that over USC. Wait, you're not going to be amped up for Sacramento State? No, no. Or UC Davis or whoever. Like, I'm just I'm not like I said, I will get over it. I will grumble the day that it happens and I will be upset that that's no longer going to be in like the fun facts about USC or in the media guide and all that kind of crap. But like, it's just so, you know, what you know what it is? It's the Urban Meyer thing that we keep having this conversation about. Like I would find it incredibly distasteful. I'd get over it pretty quick, but I would find it incredibly distasteful. All right. Well, let's talk about the scheduling thing because yes. So if SC is scheduling seven games at home every year if that's the plan and again they get 10 games basically scheduled for them every single year nine conference games and the notre dame which has a long-term uh a long-term contract so that's just always going to be in the cards there right so then you get your next two opponents of the longest time usc was played a power five opponent and a group of five in those two auxiliary opponents right so like in 2017 you saw sc get seven home games where they hosted texas and western michigan but in 2018 you saw SC get only six home games because they went 
on the road to play Texas, and they got UNLV at home. So if they're getting seven home games, those two games are going to be two home games. No Power 5 team, literally zero, is going to take a one-off pay-for-play game. Nobody. Indiana's not going to sign up to be Western Michigan. So what you're going to end up having is those two games are going to have to be group of five teams and or FCS teams. And this is where my my biggest issue is. You can play the game that you want the seven home games. Play the card that you want the seven home games. Play the card that you're, you're doing this for competitive reasons and all that stuff. But that still doesn't mean you have to play the FCS. You can still play UNLV and San Jose State. You can still play these teams in the MAC, the, the Sun Belt, whatever the hell conference you want. As long as they're in the group of five, you can do that and keep your streak alive. But there's a big reason why they're not. It comes down to, for me, SC has just dropped the ball on this. You look at the schedule and who's available, there's nobody available. So in 2021, they have one spot open. They play BYU at home, but they have one spot to open the season with. Because BYU, they play in November in, in 2021, Thanksgiving week, to, to close the season. So they need to open the season with somebody in 2021. Here are the teams who are available in 2021, Alicia, and FBS. Again, there's 130 teams in FBS. Here are the teams who are available. Middle Tennessee, UNLV, and Northwestern. Three teams out of 130, or oh, sorry, 129. That's not USC. There are 129 available teams. Three, and that's and that's strictly because USC's waited until 2019 to schedule to, that. To schedule that, like they sh- that should have been scheduled five years ago. They yes. should have had something in 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 the in the pot because now everyone's off the table, yeah, except for I, those I, teams. And guess what? Those teams now get to do if USC comes crawling to UNLV in Middle Tennessee, they get to extort USC because they know that it's them or FCS, and USC might right. maybe maybe this is USC playing mind games with those teams by Steve Lopes outright saying we will schedule an FCS team it's not a big deal maybe that's them trying to get ahead a, a at the negotiating table because you know if, if USC is willing to schedule an FCS team then UNLV doesn't have the same negotiating power but I mean I don't this this ultimately comes down to like don't leave it this late so that you're left looking around for a partner when there's there's no one out there to to partner with right and an fcs team you can you can schedule in the middle of the season iowa state added an fcs game in the middle of the season last year you can schedule these teams at at, and on a whim yeah so it, it just seems too convenient to just sit here and say well we might have to play an fcs team yeah maybe because you didn't make the schedule early enough uh look at liberty i'm looking at liberty's schedule right they are locked to get they're independent they are completely locked through 2022 um, and then in 2023, they have eight of their opponents already. 2024, they have six of their opponents. In 2025, they have eight of their opponents. They get 12 dates they have to schedule themselves, and they're already doing it in the long term. And SC is out here unable to add one team for 2021 that they've known that they've had for several years. What have they been doing? Don't sit here and sell me the FCS thing. When these teams are just going by the wayside, and I, I wrote this article on reignoftroy.com a year ago in which I outlined these, this stuff. And a year ago, it looked dire. A year ago, it looked dire because there weren't that many teams on this list. So I went back earlier in May and I took out the teams who had already scheduled everybody. And then you end up with, again, two group of five teams, Middle Tennessee and UNLV. 
who are available in 2021, and Northwestern. But Northwestern's not going to schedule USC for a one-off game. It, it's ridiculous. And then you look at 2023, the group of five list is a little bit longer. FIU, Middle Tennessee, North Texas, UAB, UMass, Kent State, Northern Illinois, Toledo, Fresno State, Nevada, and Utah State. And again, SC needs to add one of them to play in addition to BYU. So maybe you don't have to play an FCS team there. But for 2021, you need either to crap or get off the pot and schedule Middle Tennessee or UNLV, or you're going to be stuck playing the incarnate word or whatever. Yeah, and and like like I said, USC fans will get over it, but it just it'll be embarrassing. Not just because of the Notre Dame and UCLA factor, but because like we just talked about, USC will have only USC to blame, and USC is already what concerns me is that this article, this interview that Steve Lopes did, USC is already making its excuses. And USC is already like, and and to be fair, we get mad at USC because they don't articulate themselves and they don't play the media game. So like, if they reached out to The Athletic to make sure that Steve Lopes got this message out, then good messaging USC, except the messaging is crap. Like the, the, the messaging is, you know... Get ready for the FCS because we screwed the pooch and didn't take care of our scheduling earlier and now we're backed into a corner and guess what? Sucks to be us. Like, it just, it, it's, it's, it comes back to, it's another little embarrassing thing and it's a small embarrassing thing that would matter a lot less if USC was a national title contender this year. But USC isn't a national title contender this year. USC is coming off a five and seven season and the way that you get your fan base excited is not by preparing them for a matchup with Portland State. Yeah. Or Presbyterian. Wofford. Yeah. Or Azusa Pacific. Like, I don't even know who has football teams in <laughs> I think Azusa locally. Pacific is like NAIA or D3 or something. I mean, <laughs> I mean, at that stage, like, I don't even know. The I don't University even know. of San it's Diego. Just, yeah. There you go. Yeah, it's it's frustrating. It is absolutely frustrating to to sit here and have to potentially play an FCS team, especially because in the grand scheme of things, USC is right. You want seven games at home, and yeah, SC plays Notre Dame anyways. So yes, SC isn't like UCLA and adding Georgia to the schedule, but SC gets Notre Dame, and Notre Dame is on Georgia's level, you know, in terms of prestige and all that stuff, and and they're going to play them every single year, so that kind of balances out. Sure, it, it, in in a telephone booth, USC's non-conference schedule is, even if they add an FCS team, is always going to be as respectable as anybody else's, if not more so, because of Notre Dame. But it still just makes it frustrating, especially from the fan perspective, when you look at these schedules and you're like, yeah, but I know, I know SC's going to play Notre Dame. Like, it's not exciting anymore. Yeah, I mean, it's it, it. I mean, the Notre Dame series, I would never want it to end. So, like, I get for sure. Yeah, that, I'm not that, saying that, that, that the series is not exciting. I'm saying that it being on the schedule the is not trip. necessarily exciting. Yeah, I mean, it's it's there every year, and it's part of what USC scheduling is. But it's not like we talked about. Like, it's not a home and home with LSU. Like, it's right. not a home and home yeah. with Florida, and. Like, I, I think everything just comes back for me to what I wrote on Raina Troy uh, this week about this topic, which is basically like, I understand the reasons why USC is, is open opening the door to scheduling FCS. But it's just another one of those little things that chips away at the exceptionalism of USC, 
which is which is being able to say one of just three programs that have never played an FCS school. Um, you know, the, the, when USC gets to say that they're, you know, one of however many that's never had names on the back of their jerseys and like literally the only one Penn State's no longer on that list. Yeah. So, again, these these are small, insignificant things, but they're things that make USC unique and make USC special, along with the All-Americans and the draft picks and the Heismans hey, and the, the draft picks titles. might be going away. So, well, the, I mean, but again, chipping away at the exceptionalism of USC and it's just sad to see that happen, even if it's a small measure. Like, I like to be able to brag about USC being exceptional. And when USC throws away this, you know, these things on a it's not a big deal thing. Like, yeah, I guess it's not a big deal, except that it's 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 who you've made yourself out to be. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for, for someone like me who came up into you know, being a, a USC fan in the Pete Carroll era when the philosophy was take on all comers, like play everyone wherever you, they, they want to play you. And, you know, USC didn't need seven home games in the Pete Carroll era to make sure that they were a national title contender. Like they just went out and beat Virginia Tech and they were a national title contender. Like that's that, that like it was what ma- it was what you did on the field. It didn't matter who you played. The fact was that you were going to beat them. And I worry that USC is is basically moving towards this this state of mind that rigging the game and making it more likely for USC to go to the playoff, for instance, is enough. Where for me, it's not enough to just be one step closer to making the playoff. Like making the playoff is the least of, of of what I care about because I've seen Washington make the playoff and be no closer to winning a national title than USC has been for the last ten years. So it, it's it's not enough to just have the the advantage that gets you in that door. Like you need to be competitive. You need to be in there and actually a favorite or uh, somebody that people look at and say, yeah, they could win the national title. And this. This step, it doesn't tell me that USC cares anymore about putting a product on the field that wins a national title, as opposed to just has more wins. Or as opposed to wants to have seven home gates. Yeah. Home gates is in ticket revenue. Yeah. Yeah. In the in the Coliseum that's newly re- re- renovated. Which, which again, makes sense. I completely yeah, get it. perfect sense. And I think you can definitely look back at it and say, oh, well, in 2016, if SC doesn't play Alabama, they're a playoff team. Or if they don't have to play Stanford because of the nine-game schedule, they're a playoff team. Or any of those things, you can look back at it and say that SC's schedule is what did them in. In 2017, if SC doesn't play Notre Dame, if SC plays Middle Tennessee instead of Notre Dame and doesn't get blown out 49-14, to yeah, SC's potentially in the playoff. Right. But where do those seasons end, for instance? we Like, if USC didn't play Alabama to start the 2016 season, USC goes to the playoff and gets spanked by Alabama. Right. If USC doesn't play Notre Dame in the in 2017, they go to the playoff and get spanked by Clemson. Yeah. So, like, it doesn't change the end game for me. And I think that's where I push back against this whole having seven home games and playing lesser opponents is okay because, you know, you just got to make it work to have the seven home games. It's like, like I said... Winning seven games at home doesn't 
ensure you title winning credentials. But what does is winning. Period. Yes. And, and and that goes back to everything. If SC's winning a bunch of games, nobody cares about these things. If if you're you're winning eleven games a season, which SC was averaging under Pete Carroll, then you can you can sit here and you can say, okay, but they're winning, so it's still going to be enjoyable and it's still going to be worth it and and all that stuff in the end. If USC is winning eleven games and getting left out of the playoff because they lost the one, but USC has not gotten left out of the playoff because of their schedule. I, again, though, you can make that argument in 2016 and 2017. I okay. think you can, you can strongly right. make that argument All for right. those I'll, re- I'll, I'll rephrase. Pete Carroll's 2008 USC team was denied a national title because they got left out. USC has not been denied a national title because of their schedule in recent years. Sure. I just keep going back to you can do what you're saying and you still don't have to play FCS teams if you just strictly schedule North Texas and Kent State in a reasonable manner um, and don't wait until 2021, two years ahead of the fact, when everyone else is scheduling games for 2034 at at this point. And honestly, what I would like in acknowledgement of the way that USC has dropped the ball in 2021 get fleeced by UNLV, get fleeced by Middle Tennessee in a, in a financial sense in order to Oh, I thought avoid... you were saying lose. And oh, I was no, like... get fleeced financially. <laughs> yeah, no, First don't, all, don't, can... don't lose to Middle Tennessee or UNLV, please. <laughs> I just want to go back to the idea that Steve Lopes said that some, directional of, the very, schools. some of the very good FCS schools are, are better than the FBS directional schools. Like, he's not wrong. Like, North Dakota State is better than a good chunk of all those group of five right. teams. But should US, if USC is going to schedule an FCS team, don't make it be North Dakota State because you're not no. going to get any more credit for that than beating Portland State. Oh, yes. But here's the other thing. It's good. It would burn so much worse when you lose to North Dakota State versus when you tie to San Diego State at the Q in 1991. Yeah. Well, because so. it, it's FCS. Yeah. Or 1992, so, whatever. So Whatever year that was. Yeah. Anyways, uh, let's get to some other stuff. We'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. All right, Alicia, before we get into the mailbag, we got a bunch of those questions to get to. Uh, I wanted to get into some news items here uh, from last week that we didn't get to talk about. First one, Matt Fink isn't going to Illinois after all. Uh, he tweeted, to clarify, I'm not committed to any schools at the moment. I am in the process of deciding and still looking for other opportunities. It's just, it's just such a weird development. So, I mean, granted, he never he himself never announced the commitment. That was a, a report uh, by, uh, I want to say, like Eric Sondheimer of the of the LA Times or, or whatever yeah, it seems, was. I think it was, yeah. So, I mean, maybe it was just misinformation. Maybe it was just, you, you know, mis- mixed signals or whatever, but... The whole Matt Fink thing, I still it doesn't really make a ton of sense to me that the door is still open for him to come back to USC. I, I guess we'll see. The longer it goes on, the more intriguing it really becomes, especially since USC's you know graduation has already happened and and all of that. So I don't I don't know. It's it's weird, a little weird. Yeah, it's a little weird. I, I wouldn't put hope in the stock of that he's gonna stay. Um, certainly possible at this point, but I don't know. I I. I I'm at I'm at shrug levels. We'll, we'll see what happens when uh, when the time comes and he's able to actually make a decision officially. Uh, let's talk about the upfronts. Upfronts, if you don't know, are what television networks do 
in May to sell to their um, advertisers of basically it's a presentation saying this is what we're going to do in the fall uh, and for the next calendar year for our programming. So let's talk about Fox. Fox had their upfronts uh, last week and they announced that the number one Fox game, which will be, you know, with Gus Johnson and Joel Klatt, will now be at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific which means no Pac-12 schools are going to get the number one Fox game. And I wanted to read this quote from Andrew Marshan of the New York Post, who says, now it is trying to own the noon window by placing its Big Ten or Big 12 game of the day there. CBS already controls 3.30 Eastern with the SEC on Saturday, while ABC ESPN has prime time. So now Fox can attempt to make the first game of the day its identity. Its research shows that 11 million viewers watch at noon compared to 13 million in prime time. So putting its best game of the day there and potentially helping its new pregame adds up. From a TV perspective, I completely get it, and I think it's a sound thing for Fox. For From our vantage point, it freaking sucks for the Pac-12. Well, and especially because, making sense for Fox, they're trying to launch this new competitor for college game day, getting yep. able to be, being able to lead into the biggest game of their day uh, makes total sense. But doesn't the incentive that Fox had to make this shift... It for me it speaks to the irrelevance of the Pac-12 because if the Pac-12 was more relevant, then Fox would have more reasons to not, and maybe they would still do it anyways. But I think it's it, their decision is probably made a hell of a lot easier by the the calculation that how many Pac-12 games are they really gonna have that they would be even factoring into their equation for their biggest game of the day, probably very few. Well, the other thing is I want to see what the the fallout is. Does this mean that the Pac-12 is going to get more of a shot at in prime time with ABC and ESPN? Because that's also a probability, too. Yeah, I mean, it, it, could, it could ultimately benefit a team like USC, who's more likely to, to end up in those slots right. if they're not bad. But well, you know. well, I, I guess the, the, the other thing you could look at it is now there's one time slot at five o'clock instead of two. So maybe that's a downer. But maybe they, if Michigan and Penn State are going to play at noon, then they don't have to compete against that game, at least. Right. For the, for the ABC. Well, Michi- Michigan and Penn State at noon, the big SEC matchup on CBS at, at, yeah. at 3.30. These are all Eastern times. But yeah, you start to dwindle the available teams for that that five o'clock ABC game. So I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Uh, I, I think the, the bigger thing for from a USC perspective is definitely be good and you will be in prime time one way or another. Yeah. But basically my philosophy here is be, be so good that you force the networks to pick you. Right. Like USC has control over this. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, my other question about it is, though, I wonder what it means for the Fox number two team because there is news about that. Since the the new morning show that they're launching is going to feature Brady Quinn, they had to replace him, and so Brock Huren is going to be with Joe Davis on the Fox number two team. But what does that mean? Are those games going to be at seven thirty? I don't know. That's that's possible. That's we'll, we'll, possible. We'll, we'll see how it plays out. What do you think about Brock Huren? Jordan Joe Davis. Meh. I, I didn't care for Brady Quinn as a, as a color no, guy. No, so. I, I don't think it's a downgrade. I don't think it's an upgrade. I think it's a meh. I like Brock. I, li- I like Brock a lot, so I think it works. Uh, let's talk about the watch list. Uh, there's a new one out, the Lot Impact Trophy, which 
I'd have to give the Light Impact Trophy a lot of respect for not doing anything the same as anybody else. They just follow the beat to their own drum. They don't give a damn about any other trophy. And they're like, it's May. Eh, we're going to put our watch list out. We don't yeah. care that watch list season isn't the beginning of July. We're going to do it now. And SC has one person on it, and it's Christian Rector. Yeah, and that makes perfect sense that Christian Rector would be featured on that watch list. But I, I got to say, I got to say, another year, another year where, you know, it was one thing a few years ago when it's like, oh, the Lot Impact Award hasn't been around that long. So it's not a big deal that USC hasn't ever had somebody win the award that's named after their most, one of their most favorite, famous alumni. But at this stage, like, that award has been around since 2004. So it's, it's, UCLA has had two winners. Notre Dame has had a winner. Like, USC, we're we're getting to a point where this is getting a little embarrassing. Uh, I don't know if Christian Rector is going to do it, but man, I hope he does. (laughs) Because every year I look at that uh, watch list going like, Man, USC's never had anyone win that? For, for the longest time, I thought that there was an anti-USC bias out of the because need of the to be objective. That, that it's like, oh, we can't give it to an SC guy. That'll look like it's like a, there's a homer like bias. So let's SC not. Award. Yeah. yeah. And, I don't know. And I don't think that's an actual thing. I think there was just like me trying to rationalize, rationalize. How, yeah. how USC did not have a winner. <laughs> um but yeah, it's not going to be this year. This year's not a good year for it because SC doesn't have a wealth of veteran guys on defense to get it. I mean, certainly Christian Rector could do it, sure. Um, but I feel like last year would have been a year that would have been more likely when SC had all those guys, your, your, your Biggie Marshalls, your Cam Smiths, your, your Marvell Tells. Those guys could have potentially done it. Port Augustine, those guys could have potentially done it because they could have been the star players on a veteran-laden defense to do it, you don't have that this time. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, let's get to the mailbag, though. Take a quick break. We'll come right back to open up the emails and the tweets. We'll be right back. You've got mail. All right, Lisa, let's start with an email we got from Michael in Long Beach. Good name, by the way. That's a really good name. Uh, he says, hey, Michael and Alicia, first off, thank you for all of the great Patreon content. Love Second and Short and the Snap Take Rants. It's sad that Rod on Hoops had to die a fiery death, but it's also understandable. Hopefully it comes back next season. I had a question about transitioning into a more air-raidy offense. Last year after the Apple Cup, there were articles about Washington coaches saying how easy it is for them to shut down Mike Leach's system. Do you know what the Huskies did to be so effective against the Cougs' air raid offense? And will USC be able to handle Washington's defensive scheme so that Michael doesn't have to join the Fire Helton chance at Husky Stadium this season? Uh, let me know what you think. Fight on, Michael from Long Beach. Yeah, thanks for the thanks for the email and the question. Uh, Michael is particularly glad that you're uh, enjoying the Patreon content. I don't know if I would say that Rod on Hoops died a fiery death. I think it went out with a whimper as opposed to a bang. But yeah, next year we'll try to be a little bit more consistent with that one. Uh, Life got in the way of, uh, of keeping that one up. So, um, you know, bad basketball and bad basketball. I mean, I'm not going to lie, guys. I'm not going to lie. I could only motivate myself so much 
to do so many things and uh, talking about that bad basketball team was not <laughs> again not 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 a not a a bang but a whimper um but to the question to the question that Michael asked uh the the interesting thing is that USC has been quick to emphasize that they are not running Mike Leach's air raid. They're running no. Graham Harrell's air raid. And Graham Harrell's air raid is uh, different from what it is that Mike Leach runs. For one, there is more running. Uh, for two, the personnel is different. Uh, he is more apt to use uh, to use uh, tight ends. He is more apt to use running backs uh, in more traditional kind of ways. So uh, in the, in the sense that like, what it is that Washington did to to shut down Washington State, I'm going to guess it was just familiarity with what it is that they were going to throw their way and Washington State not having... I, I got the quotes. You want me to fire Oh, yeah, away? go for it. This is from the Seattle Times, an article written by Adam Jude, the beat writer that covers the Huskies. During the snow, snowstorm in Pullman, they sh- the Huskies shut down uh, WSU's air raid passing attack for the fifth year in a row under the direction of Jimmy Lake and... Pete K. I'm not going to say that name and screw it up. Uh, Lake wrangled some Wazoo fans with his pointed comments immediately after the game when he said he was surprised. The Cougars haven't made any adjustments to their offensive plan in the last four years. Exactly the same, exactly the same, he said outside the visitor's locker room. Maybe next year he'll throw a little curveball, but it makes it very easy when you know what you're going to get. But knowing what I read about the head football coach here, he does things a little bit different. So hopefully he remains here for a long time. That would be awesome. (laughs) I, I think that the key to make is that, yeah, SC doesn't run Mike Leach's offense. Mike Leach's offense is much more simple in the sense of it, it does follow one script. They're really good at doing that script, but it's going to follow one game plan. And if they, they execute that game plan, they're going to they're gonna beat you or they're going to have these games in which they look like they've completely lost the plot. That happens for Mike Leach periodically. Happens a lot. Um, a couple times a year, they have these games where they just completely struggle, and people have figured it out. People have cracked the code. Uh, USC has done that to, to Washington State with Mike Leach a couple of times. The other the other thing is that uh, what Graham Harrell runs at USC will be new for USC right. with the athletes that USC throws their way. And that's one of the things that Washington State runs into is um, if you know what they're going to do and they don't necessarily have the athletes to overpower you no matter what – a team like Washington can, you know, shut shut you down. Whereas Washington, when they face USC this year, they won't have a ton of tape on what it is that USC will do. And they'll have to contend with USC's athletes who are on a different plane of existence to what Washington State has available to them. The big question will be Washington State is very good at doing what they do. And everybody is on the same page and knows exactly that it's been ingrained where USC will be still very much in the infancy of this offense. So how quickly can USC get really good at doing what Graham Harrell wants them to do? That'll be the great equalizer. But when it comes to like schematic advantages, I don't know that Washington will have one having shut down Mike Leach's offense before because like we said, it's not really the same equation that they're going to be faced with. They could still do it to Graham Harrell, but it'll be because they've scouted Graham Harrell and have put together a really good game plan against Graham Harrell and Graham Harrell for, you know, in this hypothetical, won't make the adjustments that Mike Leach didn't make, for instance. Yeah, it's a good way of putting it. I don't want to give Graham Harrell too much credit because we haven't seen 
him be completely different than Mike Leach at USC for for certain. But I just think that that's a good way of explaining it a little bit. Uh, let's, let's go to a tweet from Dave in Orange County. What does it say about our state of affairs for recruiting when Chris Steele, Brew McCoy, and Kayvon Thibodeau go so poorly for us? USC's recruiting... 2016 and prior would have got at least two of those dudes if not all three this comes after chris Steele uh left florida and ended up signing at oregon transferring to oregon yeah it, it doesn't bode well for usc at all it really doesn't um you get one of those three guys and you're probably feeling okay well to be fair i see did they get did one get of those, one. one of those three this is true it's funny to me that two of those three have already transferred <laughs> that's that's wild right yeah, just it's it's recruiting is is wild. So like it's just one of those things. But yeah, I, th- I think USC needed to get one of those three to feel good. And the fact that they didn't get any of the three, even though they signed McCoy and lost him, and had a second shot at Steele and still lost him, like it's it's not good. It doesn't speak well to the state that USC's program is in, especially because the sort of like rumblings around Steele was about whether or not he felt like USC could develop him into an NFL player. And if players are asking that question, then USC isn't in a good place. Yeah, just win. If you win games, that stuff takes care of itself. Yeah. Um, it goes with the FCS schedule and it goes with everything. You just win. Um, not only are you going to help your reputation, but you're also going to get recruits. Just win. Find a way to win. Uh, let's go to a tweet from Mark Ruff. When will Lin Swan save what little dignity he has left and resign before he's fired? Uh, yeah, if you're holding your breath, don't probably don't do that. Yeah, basically, basically, uh, Carol Foltz begins her tenure as USC's president. What on July first? Yeah, six weeks away. Yeah. Yeah. So if Lin Swan is still in a job on July second, then Lin Swan will still be in a job come 2020 well it's fair to say since it's six months away yeah from july 2nd right 2020 is six months and six weeks away yes that's terrifying what happened to our lives i know (laughs) oh my god i know it's crazy but the, the 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 point of it all is is that like the fact that lynn swan hasn't already been dismissed is probably like unless it's unless it's a can't do it until she's actually installed thing then i'm just not holding my breath on lin swan resigning or being let go yeah that's fair uh by the way what what were you doing y2k how do you how do you ring in y2k uh i think we had like a party at my house with my family was i supposed to be doing some other you don't remember anything else I remember there being a party. I remember a toast with Martinelli's champ- Martinelli's sparkling cider because I was mm-hmm. a child. Um, and I remember like the gla- we had like the the glass. My mom got like these champagne glasses that like the stem was two thousand. That's cool. Yeah, they were pretty cool. Super cool. So I know we did something, but it also might have been a New York New Year's because that's my parents' thing to do a New York New Year's because they don't stay up late. What's a New York New Year's? Where you do the New Year's, uh, ring the New Year at nine. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. I thought they went to Times Square. I'm like, what? Oh, no. Oh, no, no, no. That's I the like, opposite of what I was going to say. I didn't do. think they were crazy people. No, no. Yeah. I I was spending at the 
the um the movie theater uh at uh the Lamo Mall. I watched uh, the Green Mile. That's random. Ten year old me <laughs> bawled my eyes out in the, uh, in the yeah. theater. I was gonna say that's a really depressing way to like <laughs> enter the new year. Yeah. <laughs> well, I guess like, it's a good way to enter the new year with a good solid cry. To be <laughs> rejuvenating. One of two movies I've ever cried at. That's, that's one of them. <laughs> the other one was Life is Beautiful, both in the same freaking Delamo Mall movie theater. So that sounds depressing movie theater. Fun time. Have you ever seen Life is Beautiful? I it's have. A, it's a freaking sad-ass movie yeah, that you probably shouldn't be taking an eight-year-old kid to. No, no. It's yeah. heart-wrenching. Yeah. Anyways, uh, let's go to an email from Ed in the Bay Area. Uh, Michael and Alicia, great podcast. Nice to hear something different at times. This is referring to Cinco de Drafto. And I think all the rest of the questions we got are referring to Cinco de Drafto, which is our last episode. I do have to say, your walk-on, walk-off songs were okay. Some good, some not so much. Not as songs, but as walk-in songs. What about ACDC's Thunderstruck? I think that would have been a great one to enter on. I'm sure there are others really good as well. Again, great job. But burgers, really? Burgers are a day three draft pick. Don't waste a round one pick on burgers, although you may be right that every barbecue has to have them fight on Ed in the Bay Area. I, I think Ed is absolutely right on the burgers thing, and I like that he called it a day three pick because really when it comes down to it, the analogy here is that burgers are a special teams player. Like you can get your special teams player in the seventh round. Like you don't need to you don't need to drop a, a, a first rounder on him. I totally agree. So, first of all, Thunderstruck, great song, completely overlooked. I mad at myself I didn't pick that. There that are great so song. many good walk. Like, there are, like, uh, in the aftermath of that episode, I was having conversations with people and, and thinking of other songs. And, like, there are so many great songs that could be walking songs. Yeah, a lot of Black Sabbath songs. Hole in the Sky would have been another one that I, I would have picked, potentially. Thunderstruck is a really good pick. About the burgers, though, I want to make it clear. I think there was a fundamental disagreement on what the draft was about. It was summer barbecue, as in a barbecue you would have in the backyard. It was not a barbecue food draft. And so, like, brisket, if we have a barbecue in your backyard, Alicia, I'm going to guess no one's bringing brisket. Uh, I have a smoker in my you, backyard, you have so a smoker. it could okay. be done, yes. Okay. I mean, my the, my the brother, my brother has does a not smoker, have a but, smoker, but my my family is not average when it comes to our barbecues. Okay, fair. But I'm just but, saying, okay, like, if we're doing like, backyard barbecue, though, backyard it's, barbecue, it's Michael, backyard barbecue. That's what backyard summer barbecue, barbecue means. But okay, fine. If we're changing it to backyard barbecue, my first round pick still isn't burgers because again, burgers are still a special teams player that you pick up in the sixth round. My first round pick in that case, if we're talking background backyard barbecue, is carne asada. Like yes, and I pick carne asada in the did. second round. You did, but but that's my point. Like you flip those, and I have, think there are less complaints. Yeah, the way I look at it, backyard barbecue is essentially the same as tailgate food, and I don't okay. think taking burgers first or the the third overall pick in the first round is is a terrible pick. I I like it's weird to you, me that everyone thinks that it's a weird pick. Cuz you cuz you picked up the special teams contributor. It's uh, no, it's not a special round. teamer. Like it's more so an offensive lineman. It's picking up an offensive lineman. It might not be the sexy pick, but it's you need your offensive lineman, you need your burgers. 
It's an Meh. offensive lineman. You could, you could get him in the sixth. <sighs> Whatever. Uh, tweet from Foley. This episode was way more fun than it had any right to be. It was an instant classic. But how is Tri-Tip not a first round pick? I w- Tri-Tip wasn't even on my radar. I never um, think of Tri-Tip when I think of me. I like Tri-Tip. But like it just wasn't. It's it, it's like when I think of a summer barbecue, I I don't think of tri tip. When I think of tri tip, I think of like this is this is weird. I think of like Christmas because my uncle always makes tri tip on Christmas. <laughs> we so. would have tri tip that my mom would make on the barbecue, or we'd have London broil that she would make in the broiler. Yeah, and that was really the only time we would have like steak. Yeah. So, but even still, like. Tri tip is just not going to be on my on my list of things. I mean, I think it's I think it's a worthy pick for sure. It's just not something that I would have picked. Yeah, same uh, for for summer barbecue. Same. Let's go to a tweet we got from L.A. Fred. Just listened to the Cinco de Drafto pod, and it was awesome. The barbecue and coach drafts were great. The roller coaster one kind of sucked, but the walk up song draft made the whole episode. It was so freaking good. Uh, Alicia, I got to tell you about the the roller coaster thing. My picks were terrible because I'm just not a roller coaster person, but I've spent so much time in the aftermath watching videos on YouTube of roller coasters. <laughs> Random. Like they're always popping up in my suggestions now and like I watch them and I just keep thinking who the hell would go on these things. I I I think I mentioned in that the roller coaster at the random place that I went to in like somewhere near Monterey or something like that. I don't remember. I found that roller coaster, like the name of it. It's like it's like a kid coaster, which I was I was a kid, so it sort of makes you know oh, it's dear. like Big Thunder Mountain more than anything. I think it was called like Quicksilver or something like that. But yeah, good stuff. All right. Uh, then we got an email from LA Fred. It says if you're both. Forced to abandon your fandom or allegiance to USC and had to pick another college team to follow, who would it be and why? I think we've discussed this before, and yeah. I want to say you picked Oklahoma. I think I did, yeah. I want to say Oklahoma would be my pick. Oklahoma is a good pick. I, th- I think we did have this discussion where it was like, okay, Oklahoma were red. They are a traditional power. They have a strong fan base. Uh, they have a a, a a a fan base that isn't just local. Um, they're involved in sort of big college football discussions, and yeah, I, th- I think Oklahoma's a good pick. Yeah, Oklahoma would be up there for me. Um, as a kid, I like. They're not the evil empire either. Yeah, that's that's Texas. Uh, as a kid, I liked Michigan, Florida State, and Oklahoma. I like to watch those teams, I like their fight songs, all that kind of stuff. Well, Michigan's but- fight song is is legendary so clearly like, i mean all three of them has have great fight songs yeah. but like of all of those i'd probably take oklahoma for sure especially if lincoln riley's there hell yeah yeah hell oh, freaking yeah. yeah it's easy to pick oklahoma right now for sure yeah uh, he also says now same scenario with your fandom of chelsea and liverpool uh if you had to pick another premier league team today to follow who would it be and why uh uh, uh. It would probably be, it probably what? would be Arsenal, like. Wow. Yeah. Even though you I, hate those Arsenal fans at the pub? I do, well, but I hate the Chelsea fans at the pub more now, so like, you Why? know how like. What's hatred- wrong with us? We're good uh, people. We're good people. Uh, the Chelsea fans at the pub, the Arsenal fans at the pub are obnoxious, 
because they just sing all the time, but they're just obnoxious. The Chelsea fans at the pub are obnoxious because of what they sing about, which is a little too old firm for my taste. But I've, I've, I've explained before that when I became a Liverpool fan, I was picking between Liverpool and Arsenal. So, like, the same reasons why I Arsenal was one of the, t- the two that I picked between, it would be the same reason now. Like, I could be an Arsenal fan. It would be, dep- it would way, be way more depressing at this stage, but uh, so they're in the uh, Europa League final, so it's uh, cool. Have, have I shared my um, my how I became a Chelsea fan? So, originally, when I first started watching the Premier League, it was 1998. And me and my dad would watch the on the Fox Soccer Channel. I think at the time they would show it on Fox Sports West, but it would be they would show a, a weekly wrap up show. So you know how they show on Sunday nights the um, or now it might be on Tuesdays. I don't know whatever day it is where they take all the games and they condense them. Match of the day. It, it, they they do it the day of. So on Saturday and Sunday, yeah. Yeah, but it's but it's not just one match. They show one match for like 20 minutes, but then all the other ones they show for like five minutes, right? Yeah, that, yeah, that's how match so, of the day works. So we watched that. We would watch that every week, and we'd also watch this show where they would do highlights. And I was big into Aston Villa. I liked their uniforms, and I loved Dion Dublin. But I kind of fell out of it. And then the World Cup in 2006 came around in Germany. I got super hooked. And I loved watching Germany. I liked Michael Ballack. I liked watching Chelsea a little bit. But I had seen Man United in person in 2003. So I kind of kind of liked Man United. I loved Man United's uniforms. But I, I couldn't pick because I liked Liverpool at the time. I liked Man United. I liked Chelsea. I liked all three of those teams. I rooted for Liverpool over Chelsea. I rooted for Man U, even though I couldn't stand Cristiano Ronaldo and still can't to this day. But in the 2008 Champions League final, John Terry misses a penalty to win the Champions League. He has a wide open net and he slips and hits the woodwork. From that moment on, I'm like, first of all, the game was incredible. But from that moment on, I'm like, this is the most Cubs moment of all time. <laughs> That's my team. Yeah, the struggle. So I will say to to this day, I'm not a bandwagon Chelsea fan because I picked you, them in their lowest moment. You, you jumped on the bandwagon when they when they when the bandwagon was getting emptied. Yes, e- yeah. exactly, 100. percent So yeah, uh, before we wrap that, this that thing doesn't, up, though, that doesn't answer the question of who would be your I, other fan. It would. I don't know. The correct maybe answer, Everton. maybe Everton. I was no, I was gonna say the correct answer, like right now, like genuinely, the correct answer is, is like Tottenham? something like Wolves. If if you wanted to go like non bandwagon, but a team that's actually pretty interesting to watch and has something about them, has some a swagger about them that they might be on the up and up, like Wolves, Wolverhampton, Wolverhampton. They have ugly kits. They the they're very yellow. It's very yeah. yellow, but it's like orange. It's like orangey yellow. I see it as more yellow, yellow. It's than. like orangey. Uh, but Everton would probably be my pick. Everton is a team that's good enough to be on TV all the time. Mm-hmm. They have history. They're basically what Chelsea was before Abramovich. Right. But you also are signing up for a lifetime of... Like, being 7th, 8th, or ninth. Yeah, Of being a UCLA fan, essentially. Like, Everton very much is UCLA football. Like, for better or for worse. Like, acknowledging that 
that they're they're worse teams out there. Like they're very much UCLA football. Okay. Anyways, yeah. uh, I wanted to get to this thing that I saw on Reddit before we wrap this thing up. Uh, there's a thread on Reddit called Unlucky 13 Realignment Scenarios. Which unlucky teams will be left out this time? Post your boldest, strangest, most reasonable realignment scenario setups or futures here. So I wanted to read this one that comes from RP Mad MSU, a Michigan State fan. He says, he or she says, the hottest of takes, Big 12, Big 10, and Pac-12, along with Fox Sports, the Rose Bowl, the Cotton Bowl, and the Fiesta Bowl, and a handful of other bowl games get together and pull their football programs together from the NCAA and go it alone as an independent 36-team football program league, not conference, under their own rulebook and governing body slash sanctioning body. Within the league, there are four divisions of nine teams. The West has Washington, Washington State, Oregon, Oregon State, Cal, Sanford, SC, UCLA, and Utah. It's the Pac-8 plus Utah. The South has Arizona, Arizona State, Texas, Texas Tech, TCU, Baylor, Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Colorado. The middle, which I think this should be the north, has Kansas, Kansas State, Nebraska, Iowa, Iowa State, Minnesota, Wisconsin, Illinois, and Northwestern. And the east has Michigan State, Ohio State, Indiana, Purdue, Penn State, Maryland, Rutgers, West Virginia, and Michigan. Teams play a 12-game schedule. That's eight games versus their division. There's eight other teams in their division. They have one locked game, which I guess would be like a rivalry that's outside of their division. And then three games against one team from each of the other divisions that is rotated based on similar records. Kind of like an NFL idea. Mm-hmm. Um, the championship weekend pits the division winners against each other. These semifinal games, as well as the championship games, will rotate between the Fiesta, Rose, and Cotton Bowls. Outside of those four teams, any team that wants to play an exhibition against an SEC, ACC, or remaining NCAA team may do so if they are allowed to, uh, like USC and Notre Dame, for example, by the NCAA and can come to an agreement on whose rulebook they will play under. Teams, even if teams that lose a semifinal game, are eligible to play postseason exhibitions in any other traditional bowl game or otherwise that conform to the new league rules against any other opponent from either league or the NCAA. The winner of the championship game will be crowned the college football national champion. Your thoughts? Um, I am in favor of realignment that simplifies everything, which is what that would do. But I like I'm inherently uh, I question the wisdom of crowning a national college football champion that doesn't take into account the SEC, ACC and... <laughs> You know, doesn't maybe, include the South. Yeah, yeah, that that's kind of a big like. I would, I think it would be interesting to split it, to do take that concept, split it into two leagues like the AFC and the NFC, right? And then like have a Super Bowl at the end of it all. Yeah, I've always thought for for realignment purposes, uh, if just going to sixteen team super conferences. Having four pods of four, yeah. You you play your three other teams twice, home and away, just like in the NFL, uh, and then you play one team from the other pods based on your record. Um, so you have a nine game schedule, and then you play three games 
one from each of the other super conferences because there's going to be four of 16. That would be fun. I don't actually, I don't like the play. I don't like the four pod, the four teams in a pod thing. Why? Because I don't like, I don't like the way the NFL does it where you play teams multiple times in a season. Okay. Like I, I actually prefer the idea of. Of it, of it being one game? Of it being one game, yeah. I think you could, you could still do that and find a way. I like the diversity. Yeah, you, what, could, you could do see, it. with the, the way I would do it is I want to do it soccer style. So I want those four pods to change every single year. See, that would be more interesting. Because I don't want the, I don't want them to get locked into a situation where the North is so much better than the South. Yeah. Or the SEC East is so much worse than the SEC West or whatever, whatever it is. Have those those pods change every single year. So. You the the trade off there is that you then are complicating a lot. And I think simplification is what I would be looking for from this realignment. But I think I think it would be simplified. I don't think it would be overly complicated. Meh. It'd take thought out of it, and it'd be great. It'd be like Champions League. It'd be exactly like Champions League. Hmm. All right. Hmm. Food for thought. Um, but that 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 would be interesting if you did regional pods, and then and then held a Champions League like tournament throughout the season so that like one week you're playing your you're playing in your division and then the next week you're playing in the champions league knockout kind of situation i don't know I, i'd have to i'd have to give some more thought to this but i don't know how you'd be able to pull that off i with, again like i said the weeks and the limited this is literally time. the first time it's popped in my head i'd have to put some thought into how this I'm would just be saying viable the structure. but it would be fun if you could hold a tournament through the fall like do you get what i mean like yeah, I think I think that would be more likely to, to be seen in the NBA. Yeah, which they should totally adopt something like that. So, anyways, uh, that's gonna wrap up this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter at Rain of Troy, like us on Facebook, Facebook.com/slash Rain of Troy. Our email address for questions, for ad inquiries, or for anything: Rain of Troy at Fansided.com. Phone number two one three. 373-1872 uh, Alicia you want to give us your final word? The final word is schedule as in schedule good teams please I dig it, I dig it Alright, we'll see you next time, see ya See ya, see ya. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. 
Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.